TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's the Score North Twin Show. And welcome into the Score North Twin Show. Zolgad, Jake DePue, uh, Twins now as we record this on Thursday afternoon are 4-1. and one. They beat the White Sox twice in Chicago last weekend. They beat the Cardinals twice in a two-game series and will now play host starting uh, tonight, actually, on Thursday night to the Cleveland Indians in a four-game series. Bieber v. Barrios on Thursday night. Uh, Jake, I want to start you with this one, though. Rich Hill, he's 40, um, made his first start uh, since the surgery that he had last fall on Wednesday against the Cardinals. He gave up two hits, uh, no runs, walked one, struck out two, in five really, really nice innings of work. So on Sunday, Nelson Cruz, who is also 40, basically won you that game against the White Sox single-handedly. And then two days after that, Rich Hill, who is the same age, comes back and uh, pitches a masterpiece. I bet you didn't have on your bingo card that two guys who are combined 80 years old within the course of about three days would, would play key roles. But the thing that I have come to realize the 2020 Twins, in what will be a brief year, um, not only have a lot of experience, but they have a lot of guys, and you know Hill and Cruz are two of them, who are perfectionists at their craft and who are aging about as well as an athlete can. That's exactly right, and it's interesting. I mean, you could argue a lot of their really best players, Rich Hill, Cruz, Donaldson's, what, 34, 35? I mean, their best players are in their mid-30s or, or – or early 40s. Um, and that's great. It's great from a veteran leadership perspective. And obviously their on-field performance has been fantastic, but that answered so many questions for me. In the same way that Sano's defense has, has answered a big question for me in the first few games, Rich Hill being effective uh, last night was huge for this team. Just the fact that he was able to go out there, throw 90, right? He hit 90 on the, the radar gun. The curveball looked fantastic. Uh, he said after the game, and who knows if this is true, but he said his elbow felt like it was 18 again. If this guy pitches like that throughout this season, and more importantly in October, and he can mm-hmm. start one of those first two uh, playoff games in that three-game series, mm-hmm. it goes a long way for this team because they need good starting pitching to get through that opening series, and Rich Hill can provide it. I've said this so many times, but when he is healthy and on, he's an ace, and that's exactly what he looked like last night. He only had two strikeouts, but – the Cardinals did not make hard contact off of him at all. A lot of weak rounders. They looked a little checked out, uh, and we can talk about that. But he was, do- he was, he was dominant. And I- I'm sure, you know, if this was the playoffs, he could have got another inning or two. But uh, this was one of the biggest question marks going into the year, and so far so good. Now wrap him in bubble wrap and don't bring him out for another 10 days. That's what I was go- going to, to say. Okay, so he says post game the elbow feels 18, which is fantastic. No, I'm willing to bet it's more like 28, but that's okay, okay? Um, d- does it make you a little bit apprehensive, though, that he also admitted what Rocco wouldn't admit last week? Because, you know, keep in mind, Hill was supposed to start game two of the season against the White Sox. It was supposed to go Barrios, Hill, Maeda. Instead, it didn't. Dominic started on Saturday, and Rich Hill acknowledged after the game that he had, I believe he termed it, a little inflammation in his pitching shoulder that they had to get calmed down. Um, does that does that at least give you cause for pause? And I will say the interesting thing here is if we were if, – if Hill could have come back and pitched in March or April, which he couldn't have, okay, 
But for the sake of this conversation, with his history of going on the IL, and I believe it's 14 trips in 15 years, if he had pitched like he did early in the season last night, I would tell you at the start of a 162-game season, he's, there is no way he's getting through this entire thing. But with a 60-game campaign, and, and it's literally going to be a race for guys like this not to get hurt, and they have a chance to beat the clock here. Are you concerned that he did come out post-game on Wednesday night and acknowledged that there was a bit of an inflammation problem, which you don't like to hear? So it does give me a little bit of cause for pause, which sounds like a charity for, for sheltered uh, animals. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's something I would donate to because we, uh, we adopted our dog from... You're Stella the dog. Oh, uh, we're doing this on Zoom and, uh, and there's Stella Judd's dog. Um, but yeah, so yes, I, I, that's concerning. And a couple of things on this. First of all, don't ever, when the twins make a move like that, pushing a starter back or holding somebody out an extra couple of days, don't ever believe them if they say there's no issue and that they're just doing it, you know, because they want to do it or whatever. Like, of course, there was a reason that Rich Hill was scratched the night before and Dobnik was, was put in there. And, and they, they, you know, I don't want to say they outright lied about it, but they weren't forthright. Um, and they don't need to be, and that's probably the smart strategy, but, but I always take that with a grain of salt when they make a move like that because Rocco and, and Falvin Levine, they do a great job. They're not forthcoming about injuries. So, yes, it's concerning. I saw him grimacing, too. I don't know, Judd, you were, you were covering the game, so I don't know if you could see this, but no. you could see him sort of uh, moving his arm around a little bit and grimacing in the first inning. He didn't appear to do it after that. It was really just the first few pitches, but I saw that and thought, oh, God, here we go. Uh, and then he settled in and, and looked great. So, yeah, I mean – I think this is going to be a thing with Rich Hill. I think we're going to see these little nagging injuries come up with him um, throughout the course of the year. That's just who he is. And they should be uber cautious. They already are super cautious with injuries, but with Rich Hill in particular, do not push it. He needs to be 100% if he's going to take the mound because they don't really need him. I mean, if you assume that they're going to be one of the eight best teams in the league and it's hard to see them not being uh, one of those teams, then it's almost, you know, they almost don't even need him until October. Uh, so I would say, obviously, he should pitch if he's healthy, uh, but be very cautious with him, limit his pitches. He needs to be ready in October. And that's, that's really yes. it for me. Yeah. And, and I also think to the point that you're talking about, uh, Jake, we're not, okay, so let's say the Twins, because they're going to be good, um, but let's say, you know, they've got a chance at the top seed, but it might be the two seed in hell. It might be the three seed. And there's probably going to be a bump here, right? Like there's going to be some – you're going to go through a bad week is my guess. Um, I don't think there's any case to be made here for seeding. So to your point, you want to get to the – you want to get to the um, three-game playoff series in as healthy and good a shape as possible uh, and to throw what you deem to be your top three starters. But beyond that – until that time, you know, ordinarily, if we were talking about, let's say, a buy, then you would say, hell yeah, I want to buy. Or, yeah. let's say, or let's say the one seed home field and you got fans there. Hell yeah, I'll take that. But I don't think there's really a case to be made if you're talking about just the seeding um, before you start your three-game playoff series. Unless I'm missing something, I don't think there's an, an obvious we have to pursue that and so – Pitcher X, Y, or Z has to be pitching right now. Until that series starts, I think you're probably right. 
Yeah, I mean, of course you prefer home field advantage, but I agree. It just doesn't mean that much when you're playing in empty stadiums. I mean, yeah, you have to travel or, you know, and that's always stressful, especially during COVID times. But are you going to put Barrios out there in game 60 or Hill out there in game 60 to try to up your seed if you're tied with, um, you know, the Indians or, or whoever? Pro- probably not, right? You want to set them up for that three-game series. So, I'm yes, the Twins would like to win the division to get one of those top three seeds. And if they don't win the division, they'd like to be that number four seed so that they get home field. But you're not going to go all out for that. As long as you're in the tournament, that's really all that matters um, with, with no home field. Or I'm sorry, with no fans in the stands. And, you know, you talk about the Yankees, how they can, you know, they can never get over the Yankees. I do think there's a huge intimidation factor there with the crowd in New York. And you're just not going to have that this year. So I just – it's not that important. Um, to, to win the division and players have actually come out and said there should be more of an incentive for winning the division. And I agree. Oh, they're them. right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I agree with them. Yep. You know, the eight seed is probably going to have a record under 500 and they'll essentially be on level ground. It's an even playing field with the one seed, you know, and how is that? Like, like how do they not come up with a format that basically said at the very least, let's award the top seed. And, and, you know, I, I don't think it would have been a stretch to say, you know, the top three seeds get something. Like, this seems to me to be ridiculous that one is going to play eight. It's going to be three games. And I guess the advantage for one is I get to play at home. but So I get to sleep in my own bed. But it's still going to be, you know, first to win two games, which, by the way, in, in a sport like baseball, anybody can do. We all know that. And you're at home, but you don't have fans. And so, yeah, so I am really, really surprised that they didn't find a way to at least take the top seeds and say, you get this. That's going to be special. Yeah, I'm all for playoff expansion this year. I'm glad they did it. But, but yes, the top teams should be getting by. There's different ways you can design it. Even if you want eight teams to go in, uh, you you know, you can design it almost like um, a college regional, right? Where it's like a bracket format and, and some teams get buys. So there are different ways that you can do it. And so to, to just have a, a standard 18 bracket does seem really unfair. And I don't think they're doing the runner at second base thing in extra innings in the postseason. They're not. They're eliminating it in the playoffs. Right. So that would be the one advantage of being the home team is that you play differently in the bottom half of the inning based on how many runs your the opposition scores in the top half. Right. So that yes. is a benefit. But they're not doing that in the playoffs. So, um yeah, it's it's too bad. Uh, it, you know, Major League Baseball messed that up just like they've messed up so many other things. Um, but we still it is what it sport, is. Man, you're so right. Yeah, I mean, but that's the format. You know, Manfred is giving us what he's giving us, and it's not much. And uh, so the Twins, yeah, I mean, honestly, the goal should just be to finish in the top eight. And as long as you're in, you're fine. So, yeah, Rich Hill, pitch great. I don't need to see him again unless the Twins go on a big losing streak or – um, are really, uh, you know, struggling. I don't need to see him again for an, at least another week. <laughs> You're just going to skip him once at least? Yeah, I mean, I I guess if he's totally healthy, uh, maybe throw him back out there. And, and you don't want him to get totally complacent. But I do think they should be very, very careful with him because he's 40, he has a huge injury history, and he's already had shoulder inflammation. So yeah. why push the guy? The one good good thing about the Twins, Jake, that we know for sure, though, is that if there is a, a side that they're going to err on, it's going to be caution. Yes. Like The one thing with this ball club I don't think that we ever have to be concerned about is um, this player is sort of banged up. Are they going to play him? Like, if there is an out that they can get. So, 
to your point, if Hill does not pitch for the next 10 days, I'm not going to be shocked at all. I'm not going to be surprised. So the past three games, all wins for the Twins. Maeda, first start, one. Um, Bailey on Tuesday against the Cardinals, one. Hill. Uh, when Hill's going well, what we saw from Hill last night was very pleasant, Jake, but it didn't surprise me. I would say of those three starts, the Bailey start, I don't know if surprised is the right word, but it was pleasant because that last exhibition game against the Cubs, he was bad. And I do not buy that he was working on a repertoire of things. I think he was trying and absolutely got hit hard. And then he came back. I've got it right here. He came back in game one against the Cardinals on Tuesday night, four hits, five innings, two runs, two walks, four strikeouts. I was very, very uh, pleased by that one because that was the start I thought to myself, this guy could give up seven, and I'm not going to be surprised by that. I was surprised too. I, you know, and he had that, I, I think he, he throws like a splitter um, that was working really well. Uh, I was really surprised that, that, that certain against the Cubs that you referenced, he looked horrible. And may, who knows? Maybe he was working on stuff. I don't know that I totally buy that either. Uh, and maybe it's just that the Cardinals, I mean, the Cardinals offense looked awful in these two games. So, I've got a uh, thought on them that, that I want to run past you too, but, but go, go back to Bailey's start. Yeah. So we don't really know, you know, if the Cardinals end up having the, one of the worst offenses in the league, then, you know, maybe that was more a product of, of the Cardinals just not, you know, being on their game offensively, but he did look good and it's encouraging. And, uh, you know, if we're sticking to our, you know, two crappy Homer Bailey starts if he's out of the rotation plan, then uh, he's, he's bought himself at least two more starts because he looked good. We'll see if it, if it can keep up. You know, I mean, they obviously saw something in him in the second half in Oakland last year, and you, get, you have to trust Belvey on these things because he knows pitching. That's how he's gotten to the position that he's gotten is developing pitching and understanding pitching. He saw something, um, and he's been wrong. You know, he released Annabelle Sanchez in spring training and, a couple of years ago, and, and Sanchez has been great since then. So, you know, he's, 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 he's certainly been wrong on pitching, but – um, but I do trust his opinion on that, and we'll see. If, if Homer Bailey can have an ERA of four and a half, it's a win, right? I mean, that's all they need from him as a fifth starter. Five or six innings, two or three runs, that's more than enough for this offense. Yep, and, if, and two, the, the key thing here to me is it's probably when, when we talk about, about Bailey, his effectiveness and Hill, his health, but if one or both of those guys um, can get you to Pineda, like, it could almost be like if Bailey starts, you know, let, let's say he has, I don't know, take your pick, five good starts, and then Pineda can come back and Bailey starts to scuffle. Okay, then I just switch that up. So the Pineda thing, um, because I think he's going to be, I'm not trying to say that he's going to be a savior or be great, but I think Pineda is going to be effective. He seems like a guy who can be effective, but, you know, just the depth of that group. Now, now I do think Hill is probably more important because if Hill's pitching well and you go into the playoffs, he's got the experience there, and I, I really like him. But Bailey seems to me – I can't decide if Bailey is fixed or Martin Perez. And if he's not – you know, if he's Perez, hey, give me five good starts. Or in Perez's case, it was probably more like ten good starts through until June of last year. And then it started to go by the wayside, um, and then he can be taken out and replaced. So the Pineda factor here intrigues me because you could easily have a flip-flop in the rotation that's not going to kill you. But if you can get, again, five quality starts from Bailey or so, that's going to be a big plus for right now. 
Yeah, and I, I think we have to be careful with Pineda. I mean, he was pretty good last year. He, I think we were a little bit skewed in how we viewed him because he ended the season really well, right? Mm-hmm. His best start of the year was right before he got suspended. And the previous two or three starts were really good. His overall numbers were okay. Um, you know, I, I think the difference between Pineda and Bailey is probably minimal. I would take Pineda over Bailey for sure, but I don't think it's that big of an upgrade. It's just more depth, like you said. Uh, right. And so, so it'll be nice to have him back for that reason. But I don't view Pineda as a guy that I would ever want starting a playoff game. Right. Um, I, I view him as, as a long reliever or maybe a guy who could come in for one or two innings and really just air it out. Uh, but I, I guess I'm just viewing this starting staff and this pitching staff through the lens of getting through that three game series. And to get through that three game series, you need three really strong starters that you really believe in. To me, they've got Barrios, Hill, Maeda, and Odorizzi, whenever he comes back, I think you have four options for three spots there, uh, assuming those guys are all healthy. I, I view everybody else, Dobnik, Bailey, um, uh, Pineda, all of those guys more as just depth bullpen guys in that three-game series. But it'll be good to have Pineda back, certainly. Sure. So if Hill does get hurt here, how much do you trust if the game three playoff starter first round is Maeda? How much do you trust that? So let's remove Hill from the possibility. And that, you know, that certainly is not beyond the realm that he could be hurt by then, not able to pitch. If the first three starters are Brios, Odo, Maeda, what's your trust in that game three starter? You know, I based on what I saw on Sunday, and it was only one start, but I, I, I trust Maeda a lot. I might trust him more than Odorizzi. I mean, boy, he made that White Sox lineup. They have a lot that, – that team has problems. Defensively, they're awful. Uh, and I don't know that they have the pitching depth, but that lineup is very, very, very good. And he made them look silly. I mean, they had a lot of swing and miss. Uh, they were taking bad swings. They weren't making hard contact other than Luis Roberts' home run. So right now, I mean, we need to see more, but right now I trust Maeda quite a bit. I don't want him as my top starter going into the playoffs. I view him more as a game three guy. Um, but, yeah, if he's starting game three – I'm happy with that. And, you know, we'll see what Odorizzi is. We'll see how, you know, he, he's been up and down throughout his career. He was very good last year, and he pitched very well in the playoffs. Um, but I don't know. I think it's going to be – if Hill is out, if he's injured, I think it, it, it'll be whoever's pitching best at that point. But I do trust Maeda. You know, I tr- it's just the one thing that does concern me with this Twins team because I, they don't have a lot of weaknesses, but they don't at this point have a true ace – and I, I just don't know if they match up against a team with really strong starting pitching in, in that three-game series, they could be in some trouble, you know, because I don't think they match up well. You know, I, I think there are certainly Cleveland, their top three matches up much better uh, or is, is superior than the Twins. And I think there are other teams as well. They've got a lot of really good two and three type starters. But they don't right. have that ace. Barrios could still become that. And Hill, I guess, could be that if he's healthy. But I don't know, does that concern you, that they don't have a true ace right now? The Brios thing frustrates me beyond belief because you look at him and you look at the skill set and you look at him when he's on and you say that is an ace. With the capability, by the way, he has the capability, so I'm not saying he's there, all right? Because I'll get notes about, you're, you're full of it, Judd. Uh, he has the capability to be in that elite ace group. I really believe that. And I'm talking about that's a small group because, you know, like outstanding quarterbacks of football, not every team has that. Um, but I believe that Barrios, if he's truly on, has 
the ability eventually to be, let's say, in a top eight or so. He's not there. Uh, and I know it was just one game on opening night in Chicago against the White Sox, but, you know, that start with the bats going great guns frustrated you to no end because that's the type of start that you can't have. Now, as we record this on Thursday, it's going to be him against Bieber in game one of the four-game series against Cleveland to target field tonight, which should be marvelous. But I want to see him come out and shove. I really do. And, by the way, Cleveland offensively is not good. Their outfield's terrible. They can't hit. Um, Cleveland does have some guys who can hit. But across the board, they're not, you know, nearly as dynamic one through nine as the Twins. And Bieber is really good. And so I, I do not expect the Twins in game one of the series to score nine or ten runs, okay? But, you know, Jake, I in a 60-game season, I want to see Barrio start to shove, and I want to see him do it quickly. Uh, and, yes, it does, it does concern me that I keep saying, be patient, it's coming. And it seems like a lot of times – I get slapped by that, and Barrios comes out, and he's not great, or he has, as he did in 2019, a bad month. Um, so, so my patience is wearing thinner and thinner, and I get it's just one start. But if we don't go into that three-game series, because the Twins are going to make the playoffs, okay? But, Jake, if we don't go into that three-game series saying, I think, unequivocally, Barrios should start, and we think he has a great chance to win that game. And if the score needs to be 2 nothing, that's just fine. I think that's trouble. And I know the Twins can score runs, and I know offensively they're great. And, and I know that Rich Hill looked great last night. And I know that the three offseason starting acquisitions have won the past three games. There's a lot to be positive about here. But if we go into that three-game series and we're saying, well, should Oda Rizzi start that game maybe? Or should Rich Hill start that game maybe? I think that's trouble. I need to see Barrios take a step. And I know it's a quick season, but I need to see Burrios take a significant step where there, where by the time we get to November 1st of 2020, there is an attitude about him and there is a trust in him that I think both of us can safely say is not there, not consistently at least yet. Yeah, I think with Burrios, it all keys off of the breaking ball. When he has feel for that breaking ball, he gets so much movement on it and he gets a ton of swing and miss. And that's when he's really that dominant pitcher that we've seen, that we, you know, we saw in the first half of last year uh, and have seen in, in spurts. And, you know, he's been a very good pitcher. He's made two all-star games. But he didn't have any feel for the breaking ball uh, against the White Sox. And, and Baldelli said that after the game. He basically said he, he didn't have a feel for it. When that pitches off, Real struggles because he doesn't have a, an overpowering fastball. He has a good fastball, but it's not, you know, he doesn't throw it 97-98. So it really all comes down to that that breaking ball. Um, and if it's off, you can usually tell right away. Although I will say in that final inning, it looked like he started to maybe get a little bit more of a feel for it and got some swing and miss. And I was actually surprised they didn't send him out for the fifth because of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is a, it is a concern. Uh, and I, I don't know, I don't know where his confidence is at. He, he projects a ton of confidence in the media and I don't know it's impossible to say you can't get in a player's head. I don't know whether he really feels that confident or whether he's maybe compensating, uh, you know, for certain, for, for, for a lack of, of confidence, because I think sometimes after games, it's, it's interesting. I've interviewed him, you know, just been in scrums a few times after bad starts and he doesn't like to criticize himself. Uh, he always, you know, talks very positively, even if he's had a really bad start. And I just yep. sometimes wonder, um, you know, is this a lack of self-confidence and you're just, you're just trying to project something that isn't really there. Uh, I, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure where he's at mentally. Um, and it's impossible for me to diagnose him, obviously. But yeah, it's, you know, I, 
he needs to be going well in October. And here's the other thing. If they host that first round series, you know, in early October in Minnesota, it could be 50 degrees and it could shut down the bats, right. And make it really even more of a pitcher's duel. And so they need strong starting pitching. And Absolutely. Yeah. What do you think about, about Barrios and the way he, um, talks to the media do you feel like he is an uber confident guy or do you feel like maybe he has a little bit of insecurity there i think if things go wrong he questions himself big time no i I don't think that there's that overriding athletic confidence that some guys have where they basically are like f you i'm going to do this here's the one thing that i will say about what that topic and i'll take it to the entire clubhouse okay and this is the thing that I've realized uh, uh, five games in, I guess, about the 2020 Twins. And I love this fact. I hope the Rosarios and the Brioses and go through all of the – they're not young guys now, but they're certainly not ultra-experienced guys, Jake DePew. I hope that all of them look at Rich Hill, Donaldson, who started this, Marwin. I know Marwin cheated, but he is the consummate pro. Um, these Here's what I love about these pandemic Twins. They have this core group of veterans who are no BS. I don't care if there is an asteroid headed to target field that's going to hit it at 7.30. At 7.10, I'm going to work my, ply my craft, okay? Rich Hill did that last night. And then talk postgame, he's the, he's the professor of pitching. Like, he's talking about, if, if you watch that, that game and said, he's 40 and his stuff doesn't look that great, what the hell? Rich Hill's talking about, He's doing like level four conversations about pitching that are marvelous to hear. Um, but these guys are practicing their craft. No BS. Donaldson's struggling. Guess who I'm not concerned about? Donaldson, right? Marwin, last night with Kepler off, starts in right field in the eighth as a defensive replacement for Sano goes to first base. These guys have no time for BS. They have no time for anyone else's little charades or games. They are baseball perfectionists. So back to your point about Barrios, I hope to God that Jose Barrios is watching Rich Hill and saying, okay, that's how it should be done from a mental standpoint. Because baseball, as we all know, is a mental game. Um, Because, no, I think Barrios right now puts on a front. Barrios tipped his hand big time last year. I think it was the bad start at Target Field against Detroit. When he walked out. around and talk. Uh, That was a big tip of of the hand of – that wasn't because he's he's a baby. That's because he doesn't know – he didn't know how to handle that. Um, And so I think that there's bravado, which, you know, is fine. I think that in his mind he thinks, I want to be paid as a top pitcher, which is a fine way to think. I like that thought process. But what we need to see from him now is to actually go out and be the guy who deserves the payday he wants. But I just hope that this group of players is watching not just Cruz, but Gonzalez and Donaldson and Hill, because these guys are are trying to perfect their craft every day. And they're a group of guys, too. And they're old people, like for baseball players, right? They're old people. They're a group of guys, too, who know that they don't know everything, and they're constantly trying to tinker and learn. And it's just a pleasure to cover and watch because I love people that love their craft. Yep. And I agree. When, when Barrios walked out in the media after that bad start, that, that definitely tipped his hand. And I don't want to rip him too much because I do think he's, he's a, he seems like a really good guy and he's a damn good pitcher. I just think he's still young and, and is learning and trying to figure out who he is and who he is as a pitcher. Um, 
but yes, I mean that that clubhouse. Donaldson and Cruz are, are the leaders, and, and probably Marwin's in that group, and they have such different personalities that there's something for everything in the Twins clubhouse, right? If you're more of a laid back guy, maybe you uh, you know congregate with with Cruz. If you want to talk hitting for hours and you want to be really intense, you go talk to Donaldson, and then you've got Romo there who's a bright guy and hilarious and is able to keep things loose. Um, and it's just, yeah, they have a lot of veteran leadership in Hill, as you mentioned. Uh, and that goes a long way. I, you know, I think Rocco, you know, sets the tone, but he basically, it's not really his clubhouse. I don't think, I think it's those veteran leaders. And I, I'll say this about Donaldson. He maybe comes off to the casual fan as, as kind of an a-hole. And I don't really think that he is. I, I think he's very intense. But I saw him, and so many other reporters have talked about this, but in spring training, when I was down there right before COVID, right before they shut everything down, he was in the clubhouse for like an hour after a spring training game talking hitting with Drew Maggi, or Maggie, I think, who's like a 30-year-old AAA guy, uh, and Travis Blankenhorn, right? So he's, he is taking it upon himself. He understands the Twins gave him a big contract to not just be a good player, but to lead these guys and talk, and talk to these guys. He talks hitting for hours. I think he just loves it. It's his life, it's his passion. Um, and so that's – they're in good hands. They're in good hands with those guys. And Josh, too, for, um, you know, much like Cruz, was a late bloomer. And if you look at Donaldson's early career, he was not that good. Like, this guy worked. He's worked his ass off. And, and I, I know that this guy's off to a bad start, but Mitch Garver is in Donaldson's back pocket constantly. And I actually saw an at-bat that Garver had, and he didn't have a good game, on Tuesday night where there was one pitch I think he took or fouled off, and his whole mannerisms at the plate, Jake, look like Josh's. Like, he is, I think he's that into what Josh is doing. And, and I think that Mitch is smart enough to appreciate, like, Donaldson was not born like this. He is a perfectionist at the craft again, and he made himself this. That's impressive. Um, next topic. I know Saturday – was rough, but I would argue that that was the B squad of the unit I'm about to bring up. How about this? Two games against the Cardinals, eight innings, bullpen, one run. Clippard, um, Stashik, May, Romo on Tuesday, and May gave up the home run that went off Buxton's glove. Last night, scoreless from Duffy, Romo, Clippard, Rogers. This bullpen is for real. And, and I get that if we get into the Latels, I mean, I get it could get dicey here, okay? So if you go to that B squad, I'm not, I'm not saying their depth is endless. But eight innings the last two nights, pretty much lights out. Tyler Duffy has turned himself into an elite reliever. This is impressive now. I mean, that, the back end of their bullpen is, I think, top five in the league. You know, I mean, Taylor Rogers last night just blew the Cardinals away. I mean, they had no chance. He struck out Paul Goldschmidt like Goldschmidt was a triple-A call-up. You know, that guy's <laughs> one of the best hitters in, in the game. Um, Tyler Clippard looks phenomenal. That changeup that he threw, I don't remember. It might have been to Fowler, but he, he had a man on in the eighth. It was a 3 nothing game last night. He had a man on in the eighth, and it was a 3-2 pitch, and you figure fastball's coming, and he threw up just a beautiful changeup. His changeup is filthy. Carpenter. Um, what's that? Carpenter, you're correct. Carpenter, Carpenter, yes, yes. Right. Yep, yep. Uh, so he he looks great. Romo, I, you know, I, I've had concerns that I, I, Romo is probably my favorite guy on that team, just from a personality perspective. I, I wonder how much he has left, but he's looked great the last two games. Uh, you know, he, he 
last night he was phenomenal. Um, May, you're right. The only the only hard contact he's given up was the the home run that went off of Buxton's glove. We can talk about that if you want, because um, I'm sure you have thoughts on Buxton and and Clyde with the wall. But um, yeah, if you get into their B squad, it gets dicey. But that's every team in the league, right? right. So uh, uh, you know, Cody Stashek, I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop, but but I don't know. I mean, at some point. You have to look at the results and say, this guy's a damn good pitcher, too. You know, I mean, he must have late movement or something with that fastball because it only, he only throws at 92, 93, but he gets a lot of swing and miss. It's huge strikeout rates in the minors. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all of those guys, Duffy, uh, Duffy's, it's been cool to watch Duffy and his development, you know, because he was up and down for years and just really struggled okay. in, the, in the big leagues. And, and now he's turned himself into an elite reliever and, and he's a smart guy, and he processes information, and I think he's really benefited as much as anybody from Falvey and Levine taking over and, and disseminating some of this information that maybe he wasn't getting when the previous regime was in there. I think if Duffy if, – if the previous regime hadn't got blown out, and look, there, there were some at one time, especially good baseball people there, so that this is not trying to slam them, I think Tyler Duffy's career is just about done. I really do. And I don't know that he – if Tyler Duffy had come up in 1986, okay, I think he's out of baseball in three years. That's the one thing that's so impressive about these guys and, and more and more teams, to be fair, too. It's not just a Twins thing. But what's so impressive is they take these pitchers especially, right, and they basically fix them. And in the case of Duffy, I think he's fixed. Like, I think he's just good now. Now – now, the Martin Perez's and Bailey's, it's almost like they tinker and they find things. And then you sort of hold your breath, right? And you're like, okay, how long is this going to go for? And sometimes it goes for two months and sometimes it goes for a month. And who knows? Best case, it goes for probably an entire season or so. Um, but, you know, when you look at a guy like Tyler Duffy who bounced around, you know, I, I always go back to that first start that he made against a Toronto when he just got lit up. And then there was so much of, is he going to be a starter? Is he going to be out, out of the bullpen? And I think we all thought, best case, he's going to be okay. Last night, you know, he, what, gasses three guys, strikes out three guys, looks fantastic. And I think a guy like that is such a beneficiary of how baseball people now think and act and work. Because if you will take the teaching, they will give you the tools now. If, if you have some of the tools, because there obviously has to be talent with the player, but if you have some of the tools and the starting point for that, they will now sort of finish you off to make you a player who's probably going to have a pretty damn good career in the case of a guy like Tyler Duffy. You know, I, I talked to Duffy in Boston last year um, during that series in September, and he pitched uh, a scoreless eighth in, in a one-run game. And uh, that was just a big series for the Twins. And it was the game that ended on the – the series, actually, that ended on the Rosario throwout. And I was talking to him after the, the game, and – you know, I was just saying, you know, you've really evolved as a pitcher. And, and he just said, I have so many people to thank in the organization and went through a list of like 10 coaches and, you know, player development people. It wasn't just Falvin Levine, you know, Jeremy Zoll, uh, just a bunch of guys. So I think he really, like you said, he has really benefited from this regime change. And, and he's a smart enough guy to understand that, that the numbers and the information that they're giving him can be applied on the field to make a difference. And, and he's done it. And it, it's been cool. It's been cool to watch. Okay, game one of the Cardinal series, top of the eighth, kid by the name of Tommy Edmond, their third baseman, who I, I guess his brother is a Twins employee as well, works oh. in, in one of the departments, uh, hits a home run off Trevor May that goes off Byron Buxton's glove. Mackey disagreed with me completely, but I tweeted this out, 
I said it on Mackie and Judd, and I will say it to you on the Score North Twin Show, Jacob. You. That might have been the highlight of the entire series for me. And I know Buxton screwed up, okay? Um, but first of all, he timed his jump almost perfectly for a ball that a lot of guys couldn't jump to e- even get in their glove to accidentally sort of drop it. And, and I think that's a home run regardless. But, you know, he dropped it. Um, but I can't tell you how thrilled I was, how absolutely it brought tears to my eyes. <laughs> Not to see him fly into that fence at top speed. And you know what? You know what? It was a great lesson. And I know he collapsed to the warning track in anger and he stayed down. He was not hurt. He was just mad at himself. But what a great lesson. In at the time it was a six to two game. It was a solo home run. As they say, bleep happens. Solo home run. You won six to three. But you know what? We're not dealing with now. Byron Buxton be, Byron Buxton being out four to six weeks. Byron having crashed into the fence. Uh, oh, he made this unbelievable catch, but now he is in the trainer's room constantly. I'm not sure what your takeaway was because I did see people saying he's got to catch that ball. But to me, it was a, le- it was a moment of progress. Here's what I liked about it. He went back to the wall, he measured his jump, and he jumped off of two feet. That is the key, right? Jumping, <laughs> John is Jumping off of two feet. That significantly lessens your impact with the wall as opposed to just doing it on a full sprint or even if you slow down a little bit but still jump off of one foot, you're going into the wall at at a pretty high velocity, especially how fast Buxton runs. He ran back. He got under it. He jumped off at two feet. Looked like he took his eye off the ball, and that's why uh, it went up kind of the bottom of his glove and and went out. I'm with you. I I don't care. What's important to me is that he understood the value of not – colliding with the wall at full force and and i think he gets it now that he needs to be on the field i'm sure this turned ankle and summer camp was a scare for him and he realizes he needs to be out there and it is not worth it now if it's a tie game in the ninth inning maybe he go, he's a little more aggressive and and that's fine but in a 6-2 game yeah go under it jump off at two feet if you catch it great if you don't that's okay just don't get hurt so what did matt what did mackie say he disagreed with he that? said he said he screwed up and basically should have caught that ball, which you know what? A year ago he does. But to what you just said, he crashes into the wall. In fact, Buxton told me in spring training, flat out what you just said. He told me I have, and we, we have thought that he has found God before when it comes to trying to not collide with fences or get hurt. So I was, I had a little bit of trepidation to see if this was true or not, but in the case of the home run by Edmund, it was absolutely true. He told me back in spring training that he had watched film of a lot of guys who had had success in center field to see how they didn't get hurt. Now, everybody gets hurt occasionally. But one thing that he pointed out, and he said this exactly what you just said, was I got to jump off of two feet. And I, so I sort of prodded him, and because I, I, I knew why. But, and he, he's like, why? Because when I launch myself off of one foot into the fence, that's a problem. Look, he would have caught that ball. Back to your point, if Byron Buxton had gone back to the wall and launched himself off one foot and carried his momentum into that wall, I think he catches that, that ball. Because he was, he could still jump incredibly high. I, he is, uh, you know, a gifted athlete. But by doing that, his momentum had stopped, and I think that threw him off a little bit. So if he makes that play full force and he goes off of one foot, goes into the wall and goes up, I think he catches it. I just think he gets hurt probably too. And I don't 
need that. And in a 60-game season, Jake, where 16 teams are going to make the playoffs, I don't need to see him launch himself into a wall until the playoffs. If, it, if, if it's the right time, then, you know what? Okay, I can see that. But when we're talking about a hockey format for baseball, 16 teams are going to the playoffs. So Byron Buxton's inclusion, as much as possible, is incredibly important. I love the fact that he at least is working – he at least is actively working on showing us that he is going to do what he talked about doing. Because it's one thing to say it. It's another to have the ball screaming towards the fence, and you're saying, bleep it, I'm jumping off of two feet. Here's my only concern. My concern is that because he didn't make the play, that he'll revert back to jumping off of one foot. Because he was so disappointed. I mean, he went down, and I thought first, I think everybody thought for a second, oh, God, he's hurt again. And he was just really disappointed, and that shows yeah. how much he cares. And the way he plays the game generally shows how much he cares, and it's part of what I admire about Buxton. Um, but I, I, that's my only concern, that he says to himself, well, I tried it off of two foot feet, it messed up my timing, and I'm going to go back to one. I don't think he'll do that. Uh, but it's something to to monitor the next time he goes to the wall. But it was great to see. Again, yes, if he if he goes back to slamming into walls in the playoffs, that's probably you know that's fine. Uh, but he should do this throughout the course of the regular season. Solo home runs don't kill you. It's the key to baseball. Um, five games in, all of baseball. Can you name me the major league team that has yet to commit an error? The Minnesota Twins. How about that? How about that? So, so all of the BS we got when we all said, and we asked Rocco and everybody about this last year, aren't you worried about your defense? Because they had to be. And we called, and when they downplayed that, you and I both said, BS. Internally, they're concerned. Internally, they were concerned. Um, Donaldson at third base helps huge. I get that. But five games in, and, and you know, we, we could talk about errors and and it's affected by can you even get to a ball or don't, don't you get to balls. But when you're the only team without an error five games in, which I know is a small sample size, that's a hell of an improvement from some of the crap that we saw in 2019 that the Twins publicly tried to downplay. And anybody who watched them said, that's going to be a problem if you don't fix it. So we've talked about Sano and how Sano looks better than I think a lot of people anticipated. But Luis Arise. He has limited range, but he made a couple of really nice plays the last couple of games. I, I, there was one play he made in the Chicago series where he ranged pretty far to his right and made an off-balance throw, and I think that saved a run. I'm not surprised at all that Arise has improved there because that guy, he's like 23 or 24, but he carries himself on the field and in the clubhouse like a 10-year vet. He takes this very seriously. Uh, he cares a lot. He's a pro. And I'm sure he worked on that a lot. And he, him and Polanco were hanging out in Fort Myers working out there throughout this whole break, you know. Uh, they just stayed there once spring trading was shut down. And I'm sure those guys worked every day on, uh, you know, being a double play tandem. And, and because they both knew that they needed, needed to improve their fielding, they both looked better. Polanco's made a couple of nice plays. He's never going to be a gold glove shortstop, but he's looked good out there. He hasn't made many bad throws. Um, so, yeah, I think that their biggest concern, like you said, going into the year might have been infield defense. And so far, in a small sample, it's looked good. And Josh helps huge, too. Oh, of course. Polanco does not have to be concerned about, do I have to go to my right a lot as well? And, and if Miguel Sano can just be good at first base, Donaldson's so good at third, it, it helps. And I think, between, I think between those things and the team's ability to shift, because they do shift so much, I think you, then, you now compensate for lots of, of stuff. Uh, last point. 
Mackie and Declan disagreed with, with me on the Mackie and Judd show today about this. You broached it, and I think you agree with me. And, and we, we've got a, a daily topic now called uh, Baseball is Football because it's a 60-game season and we're breaking down games like football because, my God, the season's short and the games, you know, count for more. Um, the Vikings occasionally ha- have games, and they have pulled the stunt themselves, but the Vikings have games occasionally. It's usually into December where you could tell an opponent shows up and they get sort of hit once, right? Right, right in the kisser, right in the face. And that opponent says, we're mentally gone. I sensed that from the Cardinals. I, don't, I did not sense a super engaged, and this is to the Twins' credit. Just to be clear, I'm not taking away anything from the Twins. So this is not saying they got lucky or fortunate. They played really well. Um, but to what you said, and I agree completely, the St. Louis Cardinals took like two punches and were like, okay, 60-game, COVID-19, we're out of here. I sensed um, a lack of a level of engagement in Redbirds baseball that I think we're going to see from a bunch of teams. Here, the thing I love about the Twins, back to my point about Donaldson and Romo and Marwin and Nelson Cruz and Hill, those guys don't care. Like, those guys are going to be engaged. I shouldn't say they don't care. They care deeply. They're going to be engaged no matter what. So people can be sick. They cannot be sick. Those guys are going to come play baseball and be very serious about the game. I think we're going to see a lot of teams like the Cardinals, though, who, like, go on road trips and things start to go wrong. And they say to themselves, this thing's going to be done pretty soon. And those are the teams that are going to say, 16-team playoff? My God, did we, did we just qualify for the playoffs, too? I want to go home. So it, it's hard to say for sure. I think in football you can tell when a team's checked out a lot more than in baseball because they, they did. They took that punch to the face in the second inning where the Twins put up, I think, a five spot of that first game, and they didn't show a lot of fight after that. Now, how much of that was just really good Twins pitching? right? Making the Cardinals look bad. I don't know. But yeah, they didn't seem super engaged to me. But it, I, so I, I think I, I tend to agree with you um, more than Phil and, and Declan. I will say, though, that it's harder to tell in baseball. But I do want to just get to this point quickly. Yeah. To your point about road trips and, and you know, being checked out during COVID and, and all these things, uh, are we going to see teams in September who are out of it not adhere to the protocols and could that potentially derail the season? Because we've already seen the Marlins. This has not been confirmed, but Jeff Passan hinted at this in his piece. And when Passan writes something, it's, he's, he's as legitimate as it gets. He hinted that there may have been some off-the-field stuff that contributed to the Marlins getting that outbreak. And there have been Absolutely. rumors that, that they were going out uh, in Atlanta after their exhibition game against the Braves. Um, and, they've, and MLB has now instituted this, I don't know exactly what they call it, but basically a hall monitor to go with these teams on road trips and prevent them from going to bars or restaurants or whatever. I'm worried that in September, some of these young teams and players are going to say, bleep it. We're out of the race. This doesn't matter. We're going to a bar. And one team doing that, as we've seen with the Marlins jeopardizes the entire season. Right. So it's a concern. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, And how did baseball not think of, of the, of the, monitor idea until now how is this not from day one and why why weren't there protocols in place where if this thing started to spread through a team and i'm talking two guys we didn't shut them down for the game on sunday like the marlins had a text thread going i think through their shortstop who, who is their uh nelson cruz to be like you think we should play and he's like yeah let's play i mean 
how they played on Sunday and how baseball – think about the, the opus that baseball put out about the return to play, right, Jake? Like the huge, huge, all of these rules. How was one rule, you will be shut down when, when this happens? They didn't have that. Like this is a, a – a, I fault baseball and Manfred and, yes, the Marlins take responsibility as well, but the teams are the children here. MLB's the adults. And, and the adults came up with this huge, here's how you're going to return to play and all of these things. And they left out the most important thing, which is the inevitable. This was going to spread. Um, so it's just, it's mind boggling to me that now we're, now we're doubling back to be like, well, here's what we are going to do. Why didn't you do it initially? Um, I would be very tempted. There's a couple things here. I would be very tempted. Number one, 16 team playoff. If you get a team that is clearly done, like cooked, end them, end their season, send them home. I, I don't need them. Too bad. They're done. If the Detroit Tigers are hopelessly done, right, send them home. Remove the temptation to do what you're saying. All right? Just take it away. The Marlins, let's say, you know, because my guess is they ain't coming back strong and playing great Marlins baseball. End it for them. At some point, the day that you draw the line, you are eliminated from the 16-team playoff field, your season's done. I don't care how it affects the RSNs. I just don't give a damn, okay? This is not normal. Uh, the other thing is I think baseball should have and should think with a 16-team playoff, which, of course, they revealed on opening day, um, I think that they should have considered and still probably should, if possible, a bubble scenario for the playoffs. Yes, I, I totally in a bubble agree. in the play and, and guess what then? And I don't care again. I don't care. Get the Minnesota Twins out of target field yep. um, because I, they don't need to play. You don't need to play October here. Um, find the safest places possible. And you know what? I, I don't know if um, COVID-19 is a problem, but one place I'd look, Milwaukee. They got a dome. Okay. Yep. I hate domes, but this is a weird year. But I would very seriously consider, because the playoff field is so big, bubbling the playoffs in a yes. couple of stations. I totally agree with that. One thing I want to say with the Marlins thing, this has not been confirmed, but there are rumors that they were at a bar or a strip club or whatever. If they find out, if they do an investigation and find out that those players were at a bar or a strip club and that's how they uh, got it, they need to make an example of those players. They need to be suspended without pay. Because that's just not – you have to set an example with them and say to the rest of the league, look, you cannot do this stuff. This can take down an entire season by being irresponsible. So it'll be really interesting to see if they discipline um, those Marlins players at all. But, yeah, as far as the bubble thing, I would be all for that. You put the American League teams in one bubble and the National League teams in another to ensure that a team doesn't get wiped out in the playoffs. Because can you imagine – the Twins or any, you know, any team who's really good going into the playoffs and getting hit by a COVID outbreak in the middle of, of the playoffs, that would really make – Yes, yes, I can. Well, right, yeah. Yes, I can. I for sure can. But here's what I don't want, too. I don't want the Detroit Tigers eliminated showing up at Target Field and going to a bar because who cares and getting the Twins sick. You know, I mean, the Phillies and Yankees, I mean, all of these teams, think about the amount of teams that have been affected by what the Marlins did. And I don't care how it spread. Think about the amount of teams uh, that have been shut down. And now, what, the Nationals can't go to, can't go to Miami this weekend and play. And, you know, um, so I would be all for end the, 
Second, that team is done. I, and this is why every team does not need to play the same amount of, of games. And, in fact, in retrospect, baseball should have thought of this before. Like, baseball, again, you're supposed to be the smart adult in the room, not us, okay? So, like, you're supposed to be the ones who come up with, if you play 50 games, that's fine. Like, it's going to be a 16-team pl- playoff. It's not going to be an exclusive club. Um, so it's just so frustrating to watch baseball just screw up continually. But I really do believe that a playoff bubble would be as smart as possible because then if you quarantine people, you know, exclusively, like if you build a bubble and they can't leave, I know some guys won't like that. And I, I know that Fox or ESPN might get PO'd because now we're talking day playoff games. Again, don't care. You need to get through this. You need to not worry about the bottom line for once in your damn lives. And you need to say, what can we do to get through this? And then if a guy like Manfred has the audacity to say, like, we've got this. No, you don't, you idiot. The Marlins have just submarined how many teams. So you don't know what you're doing. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do what I'm going to tell you to do because you are a basically a guy who's here to break a union. You don't know anything about how this should work. That's my rant. Yeah, unfortunately, baseball is always in reactive mode. They're never in proactive mode. That's been clear from the from the onset with this. And uh, yeah, Manfred, I have no trust that that he's going to lead them through this uh, in any uh, way that that makes any sort of logical sense. But but I'm with you. I'm with you. They they absolutely should protect the playoff teams, whether it's a bubble, shutting down teams, uh, you know that that aren't competitive, or increasing the number of hall monitors or whatever it is. Uh, they need to get through this. They need to not worry about the bottom line. Like you said, for once in their life, that's never going to happen, but that's what they should do. All right. Final thoughts. You good? Uh, yeah, I just, you know, this twin team is exciting. They're extremely good. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch them. And I just hope we make it through. I really hope we make it through the season because this team is an absolute blast to watch. They have, they, they have it all. They've got pitching, they've got hitting their defense is good. They're going to win a lot of games this year. I'm Judd. He's Jake. And uh, thanks for listening, as always, to the Score North Twin Show.